please turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, if you will, in your Bibles. We have been in the Ten Commandments here at First Presbyterian Church for the last few weeks. Last week we explored the Fifth Commandment, and we only got about halfway through it. We explored what it had to say to parents about raising their children in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. And this week we're going to explore a little bit more about what it says to children. And the fact of the matter is, is that we're all children. We're all someone's child, no matter how old we are or what stage of life we're in. And so this commandment speaks to us. And I am going to spend a little bit of time speaking directly to those of you who are children, who are, who are maybe elementary school kids or junior high or high school kids. And, and some of it's a, a little bit of a tough word to swallow. So before I give you the tough word, I want to give you a word of encouragement and just say thank you for all of your work for us yesterday here at the church. The, the youth, if you don't know, uh, we had somewhere in the neighborhood of... 50 to 100,000 leaves right directly in front of the church. And they are all gone because the youth came yesterday to, to help clean those up. And, and so we're thankful for you guys for really helping us out. It makes a big difference. And, we're, and we're, we're thankful for that. Just wanted to let you know that. Because you're about ready to hear something a little bit harder to swallow than that today. So, and we all are. So join the club. We're going to go ahead and read here in just a moment Exodus chapter 20. But we're going to begin in verses 1 and 2 because we need to remember that the law is given to us in the context of having already received his grace. So let's go ahead and begin to read Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And now skip down to verse 12. That's where we're going to find the fifth commandment. Exodus 20, verse 12 says this. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Amen. This is God's word to us this morning. You know, as much as we may hate to admit it, I think that we are all a lot more like our parents than we could ever begin to realize. Some, some of you, that may paralyze you with fear. But the fact of the matter is, is that we are a lot like our parents in one way or another. Uh, a couple of months ago, there was someone in this church who will remain nameless who came up to me. But my parents had recently visited from California and they'd gone back and she said, you look a lot like your mom, but your dad must have been a traveling salesman because you don't look anything like him. <laughs> we take on our parents' traits, don't we? we? We look like them in many respects, but it's not just an external thing. It's something that's part of our inner being. It's part of our, our DNA, Literally. We're wired like our parents, and, and our parents shape us into the adults that we are on our way to becoming or that we already are. In fact, that's why counselors so often want to know about your own personal history. They want to know about your family history because they understand that the family system in which you grew up is the thing that fundamentally shapes you. The, the, the areas of maturity, your areas of strength, are things that were largely put there by your parents. And even though you were conceived with a sense of depravity, a sense of, of rebellion, the, the actual shape and the form that that rebellion takes and, and the neurotic things that you do are oftentimes shaped by your parents and your family background as well. And this is why when you look at Scripture, the family is such a crucial, vital element. It's, it's one of the things that God created in the garden before the fall. It's a good thing, and, and, and you see his promises working in and through families. In fact, kids 
who are brought up in covenant families where the parents worship Jesus Christ and they're pointing their kids to the gospel, even though there's significant exceptions to this, those kids very often end up being the kinds of kids who worship Jesus Christ themselves, who, who are putting sin to death, who are putting on Jesus Christ and treasuring Him above all things. But what happens when that family system gets disrupted? You know, what, what happens when parents neglect their responsibilities toward their kids or couples break their marital vows to one another? What you discover is that the way the family was designed gets bent out of shape. It gets bent out of shape. It, it's supposed to be this place where the, the, the gospel flourishes and Christ is exalted and, and it's full of grace, but the, the family gets warped. And the same thing is true when children grow up in households and they dishonor and they disobey their parents. They, they, they don't give their parents the weight and the honor that the Bible calls them to give them. It distorts your life. It screws it up in ways that you can never begin to imagine. The whole thing starts to crumble. And see, what God is doing in these commandments here is he's giving, he's giving a blueprint for the way in which we are designed to live. He says, I I am your God. I have created you. I have liberated you from 400 years of bondage. I poured out loads and loads and loads of grace upon you. And I am protecting you from yourself here. I am showing you the way in which I have designed you to live. Ways in which you can thrive and be an authentic person. The Ten Commandments aren't a list of conservative family values. They're not just a, a, a hopeful legal code that we can adopt for our country. They're the ways in which we're designed to live. God loves us too much to leave us to our own devices. He knows our hearts. He knows the way that we're bent. He knows our neurotic tendencies, our our sinful natures. And so he's protecting us from ourselves in many respects. And he wants our families to thrive. He wants our families to thrive to make him look beautiful. He wants them to thrive for our joy He wants them to thrive so that we would be a gospel witness to our community. A place where, without question, the family is falling to pieces and breaking apart at the seams. There's no debate about that. And so the way in which we live as families and the way in which children live with respect to their parents speaks volumes as to what you actually believe about Jesus Christ, what you believe about the gospel. And we explored a lot of this last week. We we spoke directly to parents and about the role that parents have in raising children who will respect them and respect their other authorities over them, and what it looks like to actually raise a child in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. But today, we're going to shift gears a bit, and we're going to see what this passage has to say about children. Children from birth all the way up to however old you are, because we are all someone's child. And we're going to explore what it has to say. So here's the first group of people that I want to address this to. The first group of people that I want to plumb the depths of this passage with are kids still living at home with their parents. Maybe you're an elementary school kid or you're a junior high or high school. Uh, maybe you're, you're one of those boomerang kids, right, who goes off to college and you find yourself back living at home with mom and dad. How's that for a kumbaya experience? It happens. You're under their authority. You're under their roof. They're financially caring for you. So there's something that this passage says to you, and the clear thing that it says is that you're to obey your parents. 
You're to obey your parents. You're, you're under your roof. You're under their care. Your parents, when, when you are living with them, when you are a child, they've been entrusted with something. Their, their job, their responsibility is to care for you and to provide for you and to help you and to, and to nurture you and to discipline you so you will grow and you'll become an adult and lead them and you'll, you'll become a flourishing person. And God's actually given them the authority to have that role. They have authority in your life. The buck doesn't ultimately stop with them. It stops with God. But God has delegated that authority to your parents. So that means that in a sense, they represent God to you, don't they? They do so imperfectly in every way. And and parents who have any sensibility at all to Jesus Christ understand that they're constantly failing at this all the time, but it's what they do. They represent God to you. They're the tangible hands and feet and voice of God into your life, however imperfect those hands and feet and voice may be. They're called to care for you. And so, as a child, obedience to your parents is equivalent with obedience to God. And disobedience to your parents is equivalent to disobedience to God. That's the reality. You know, Ask yourself this, why is it that you feel like you have to fight them all the time? Why do you feel like you have to fight your parents all the time and butt heads with them all the time? I mean, is it, is it really true that you are right all the time and your parents are just these massive fools and you have no idea how someone as idiotic as them could end up being your parents? That, that, that you really have this vast life experience and you've got it figured out and your parents are just the village idiots of Biloxi? I mean, do you really believe that? Listen, I'm not trying to be mean, but if that is what you believe, then you're just at least mildly insane. Because you're, that, that's not the case. Your parents, however much they may fail, are trying to do the best that they can to care for you. They're trying to do that. And to the degree that you recognize that is going to be the degree to which you're able to give them your obedience. You're called to obey your parents. Obviously, your parents are not perfect. But ask yourself this. You have to ask yourself if being your parent is the easiest thing in their life going on right now. I mean, is being the parent of Darren Stone the easiest thing in the world? Is being your parent the easiest thing going on in their life? I can guarantee you that it's not. It's not the easiest thing going on in their life. Here's something you might be interested in knowing. There's a a part of your brain, young people, called the frontal lobes. This is the part of your brain that deals with judgment, making decisions about right and wrong, wise decision making. That part of your brain does not fully develop until you're in your 20s. So what that means is that until you reach that point, you are at least a little bit mentally handicapped. I'm not trying to be mean here, but that's the reality. And your parents have reached that point of maturity, and they're, they're trying to lead you to have that level of maturity in your life. They're trying to help to seek you grow. So one of the ways in which you can prove me wrong here is by saying, maybe there's just a slight possibility that my parents may know better than me. They may have some things figured out a little bit better than I do. Parents all the time, and I can tell you this because I'm one of them, 
parents all the time go to bed and they look up at the dark ceiling and they think, I wonder if I was being too lenient with her. I wonder if I was being too hard on him. I wonder if I should have let her do that. I wonder if I was just being too strict. It's not an easy job being a parent. Kids don't come with like this user manual where you just do whatever it tells you to do. It's more complex than that. And, And parents are very rarely sitting around thinking, hmm, how can I make my child as miserable as possible? That's not what parents think. They're trying to grow you. They're trying to work for your own well-being. And to the degree that you resist that, my friends, you're screwing up your own life. I'm telling you, you're screwing up your own life because they're working for your good. And more than likely, you're going to be a parent someday. You're going to grow up. You're going to be a parent someday, and you're going to have a kid who is the age that you are right now. And you have to think about what it's going to be like to parent that kid someday. I promise you, it will not be the easiest job in the world. And so seek to obey them. Develop that disposition. My prayer for kids is that you'll come to the place in your life where you'll be able to say, Mom and Dad, I want you to know that I am going to obey you whatever happens here. You have my word on that. I'm committed to that. There are some things that I might disagree with, and I would like to be able to share those with you respectfully, and hopefully it will change your mind. But at the end of it all, I'm going to obey you. I'm giving you my word. Listen, if you do that to your parents, they will probably pass out, and you'll have to dial 911. They literally may have no idea what to do with that. But give them that disposition of obedience. Because if you don't, you're messing up your own life as well. Despite just even being disobedient to God and dishonoring to Him. Obedience is one of the ways that kids can honor their parents. Here's another way that you can do it. Another way you can do this is by really allowing them to influence you. Opening the door of your life to them. Giving weight to their words. In fact, that's actually what this word means in Hebrew here. The word here, it says, honor your father and your mother. The word honor in Hebrew means to give weight to something, to, to, to make those words heavier in your life than the words of other people. It means that their influence in your life has more weight, you give them more attention, you give them a bigger ear than you do to other people in your life. Look, this might come as a huge shock to you, but your parents have actually been in your shoes. They actually bought your shoes. So you should listen to them and give them influence into your life. You're you're created in the image of God, right? But you're also created in the image of your parents. They, They actually, believe it or not, know what it's like to be you. When I was a teenager... I thought that the world that my parents lived in was completely different than mine. Their world was in black and white, and mine was in color. All the pictures I saw of them when they were my age were in black and white. I really thought that's about what their life was like. It was so different. For them, the world was flat, and my earth was round. But then I grew up, and I went to college, and I graduated from college, and I had to get a job and pay my own bills, 
And my parents went from being the people whose dipstick did not quite touch the oil to being the people who were the most brilliant geniuses that ever walked the planet. It's amazing how much smarter they got while I was away at college. Friends, it's not so much that they got smarter. It's it's that I got smarter. I got to understand that who they were, their influence in my life, is something that I should have given attention to a lot earlier to keep me from doing some of the stupid things that went on in my life. And so give your parents that influence. They're trying to protect you. They're working for your own well-being. Allow them to shape you now. Here's another thing. Let your parents help you. Let them be of help for you. This is really where the gospel intersects with your relationship with your parents. Let them help you. The gospel tells you that you don't have everything in life figured out. It, it tells you that you're a mess, that, that you're a sinner, that you're inclined to do things wrong, that you're, that you're weak, you're, you're helpless, and, and that you're a needy person. And that Jesus Christ has come and He supplied you with all that you needed. He's given you all the grace that you need to stand confidently before Him. And so you go through your life and all of the areas of your life with a sense of humility and confidence. Not confidence in yourself, but confidence in who Jesus Christ is. And it makes you humble because you realize you need that grace. And the humility tells you that you're smart enough to know that you don't know. To know that you don't know. To, that you don't know how to do relationships. You don't know how to do friendships. You don't know how to do your future and do your life. And you need help with that. Consider the possibility that your parents may have insights into your life that you don't have. Consider that as being a possibility. And bring your issues to them. Ask them to help you, to help you with your relationships, to help you with your school, as you grow older, to help you figure out what to do, what it, what's it like having children the age of my children, to help you through those things. It's one of the ways in which you honor them. And it's one of the ways in which you receive the blessing that the honoring your parents brings. You know, the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters of wisdom from cover to cover in that book but you don't get more than eight verses into the very first chapter of the book of Proverbs before you hear things like this. This is what he says. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and don't reject your mother's teaching, for they will be a garland of grace on your head and a gold chain around your neck. Now, I don't know anything about garlands of grace and gold chains. I don't know what that means, but it must be something good. It must be something good. It must be something that we want and something that we need. And it's good for us. And we get it by listening to our parents, by allowing them to influence us, by obeying them and seeking their advice and giving ear to their counsel. Here's another thing you can do to honor your parents and to keep your life from being screwed up. You honor your parents by taking responsibility for your actions. Take responsibility for yourself. Don't come home with a big fat C minus and say, but everybody got a C minus. Even the smart people got a C minus. It's the teacher's fault. She wasn't teaching us the right stuff. She gave us a test on the wrong stuff. Everybody blew it. And besides, it was a high C minus anyway. I mean, give me a break. Take responsibility for yourself. Even as you grow older, you get 
You get out of the house, you grow older, you're starting to develop your own family, and you're still using your parents as the ATM machine. Take responsibility for yourself. It's a way in which you honor them and don't use them and treat them like they exist to get your own appetites met. That's one of the ways in which you honor them. And see, the the gospel allows you to do that. The gospel allows you to take responsibility for your failures. Because we all fail, all the time. And we stand before Jesus Christ, not on the basis of how well we did, or how many bad things we avoided. We don't stand before him on the basis of our record, our report card. We stand, on the basis of him, stand before him on the basis of his report card that's given to us. The only way you can come to him in the first place is admit that you have a C-. minus. Actually, you have to admit that you have an F. That's the best grade you're ever going to get. And that he gives you his A. And you need that. So own your failures. Own your sin. Own your areas of irresponsibility. The gospel allows you to do that without having to pretend that it doesn't exist or cast the blame off to somebody else. He took responsibility to save you. That's what Jesus did. And it cost him his own life. That's a lot of grace right there, my friends. Don't lose that wonder of the cross. That's amazing grace. And it it affects every area of your life once you get a handle on that. And it allows you to take responsibility for yourself in response to own your failures, to repent of them, and to move forward in that way. Well, most of you here this morning, you don't live under your parents' roof, and you're not under their direct authority anymore. And so the question that you have to wrestle with is, how do I honor my parents when they're 50 years old, or 60, or or 80, or 90? How do you honor your parents as as they age, and you get out of your house, and you establish your own family? I think that even as an adult with aging parents, you can give weight to their words. You let them in and you give weight to their words. Give them respect to allow them to have a hearing into your life. I, I know what it's like to be a 15-year-old or a 20-year-old, so I can speak into that. But I don't yet know what it's like to be the parent of two young children. And my parents do, and they know some things about me that I may not even know about myself. And so allowing them in and giving some weight to their words is not just an act of wisdom for your own life, but it's a way in which you can honor them. Let them into your life. Some of you live two miles away from your parents. Others of you live 2,000 miles away from your parents. But let them into what's important to you. It's a way in which you can show them honor. There's there's obviously wisdom issues, and there's obviously the whole leave and cleave principle there, but at the end of the day, I think it's important to let them in. Let me shift gears a little bit from that. When was the last time, this applies to whoever you are, when was the last time you really encouraged your parents? Your parents have probably had a fair bit of discouragement from you in your life. And I wonder when the last time it was that you came to your parents and you thanked them for something, meaningfully, that you, that you gave them a word of encouragement. I wonder what it would do to your parents if you came to them and said, you know, Dad, I, I really want to thank you for showing me what it looked like to be a, a good husband to Mom. That, you're the only model I ever had of that. 
And I want to thank you for showing me what that look, looks like. Mom, thank you for showing me what hard work looks like. Thank you for modeling that for me. That's really helped me out a lot as I've grown up. You, 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 your parents will not know what to do. They'll, they'll be shocked. And they need that encouragement from you. They need to know that the work and the labors and pains that they put into your life, that you've actually acknowledged them. It's a way in which you can honor them. Here's a challenging one now. A challenging one for many of you who have reached middle age and your parents are aging. They're older. And they've gotten to the point in their lives where they can't care for themselves very well anymore. How do you, how do you honor them? That, that's that's got to be one of the most challenging, heart-wrenching, difficult stages of life that you could ever go through. I think it's clear that one of the ways in which you honor your parents as they age it's by taking the responsibility to care for them. That you really engage and you care for them. The, the gospel calls us to that, doesn't it? The, call, the gospel calls us to lay down our lives for people just as Christ has laid down his life for us. It's a way in which we give tangibility to the gospel. And, and what greater people to lay your life down for than your spouse and your children and your parents? One thing I've noticed about older people, they, they still value their independence. And I think that's something that you honor to the degree that you can. But what do you do when their independence is something that's ultimately going to be damaging to them? It means that you have that difficult conversation. That you take the initiative and you lovingly engage them and try to steer them away from making decisions that would be bad for them. Maybe it means that you... You have to get them into a high-quality assisted living situation. Maybe that means that they have to come live with you, at least for the time being. It's a financial sacrifice you're going to have to make, a time sacrifice that you're going to have to make. But it's where the rubber meets the road in your Christian life. It's where you show that what you believe is something you actually believe. It's not just lip service. Because Christianity is all about winning by losing and living by dying and the way up being the way down and whoever would save his life would lose it and whoever would lose his life for my sake would find it. That's what Jesus said and there's no more practical area of your life to do that in than with regard to your parents and giving yourself over for them. Some of you are here today and, and your parents have passed away. Maybe they passed away a long time ago. Does this commandment still apply to you? I think it does. I remember being a, a, a child, a, a teenager, post-college even, sitting with my grandparents. And one of the things that I enjoyed the most was listening to them tell me stories about what it was like being my age, what their parents were like. My great-grandparents who I never met in my life but learned to love through them. They honored the legacy of their parents. They didn't whitewash it and, and, and uh, you know, just ignore their faults and romanticize them. But they gave me an understanding that these were, these were people who I never met who were worthy of honor. See, when you're, when you're a young child, the, the history of the universe pretty much extends back to last Wednesday. You know, everything before that is, 
is super ancient history. But being able to sit at the feet of my grandparents and hear them tell those stories helped me to honor great-grandparents who I never met. Here's the final thing I want to mention today before we finish up. There's got to be an exception to this, doesn't there? What do you do if you had horrible parents? You don't think your parents are worthy of honor. Your, your parents, in fact, might be the worst people you know. They abused you, neglected you. They were horrible parents. Does this commandment still apply to you in any way? I mean, if you are honest with yourself, you know you're not supposed to say this, but if you're honest with yourself, you hate them. You hate those parents who were so awful to you. This is a bigger issue than I could ever begin to address in the final two minutes of a sermon. I couldn't do it in a complete sermon because it's so hard to honor people who've hurt you so badly. But I can tell you this. If you harbor the bitterness and you hold the grudge and you let it fester, it's going to be something that will eat you alive. It it will rust you out. It will burn holes into your soul and it will make you a cold, heartless, joyless person and it will affect you in ways that you are not even aware of. Friends, I'm convinced that the only way in which you can move beyond that and truly forgive wretched parents is by understanding the gospel and applying it to your soul because the gospel tells you that you have wronged Jesus, that you have neglected him, that you have offended him, that you have abused his name and you have dishonored him. And all you deserve is his wrath. But instead of giving you his wrath, he's given you his forgiveness. He's taken your offenses and he's made them his own. He has cast them off as far as the east is from the west and he remembers them no more. See, what what Jesus has done for all who know him is he has absorbed the cost of your sin. That's what forgiveness is. It's to absorb the consequences of it. If the bank calls you up and says they're going to forgive your loan, the the money doesn't just vanish into thin air. They take the hit. They pay the price. They take it upon themselves. So forgiveness means that you absorb the cost. However painful that is, you absorb the cost, you take the loss, you grieve, you spill tears, you pound sand, you grieve the loss of the ideal. You didn't get the ideal parents. But you grieve it and you let it go. You let it go. And you no longer count it against them. Just as Jesus no longer counts your sin against him. Y'all, that's the good news. When you get that, When you start to get that more, it enables you to live a forgiving life and you discover the beauty of Jesus Christ and the astonishing grace that's available to everyone who believes in Him. Let's take a moment now to pray.
Father, these words are, are beyond our abilities to fulfill clearly because at every turn we see ourselves not doing what this commandment calls us to do. But we thank you that our hope is not in how well we obey it, but in how well your Son obeyed it for us. Father, we look at Jesus and he had less than ideal parents and he figured out a way to honor him. And he honored you, his heavenly Father. And he gave us that record instead of our record of dishonor. And so would that grace drive us to obedience, drive us to honoring our parents wherever, whatever stage of life that we are in? Would you do it and transform our families so that they would be beautiful reflections of who you are and what you're all about? Do that here at First Presbyterian Church. Begin it here and in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.